0: Welcome to Enterprise Hardcore Podcast. My name is Josh Lyons. I've been listening to Hardcore Punk since 1995. I have booked shows, put out a fanzine, run a record label, and now I'm doing a podcast. This is the Enterprise Hardcore Podcast. What's up, everybody? Thanks for checking out episode two of the Enterprise Hardcore Podcast. Today, we're going to have part one of our conversation with Mike Jeffers. But first, here's a word from one of our sponsors. This episode's brought to you in part by Soar Ear Collective. Soar Ear Collective is a Rochester, New York-based DIY label established in late 2015, with releases ranging from bands like Denver's Low Faith and Screamo Heavy Hitters' Portrayal of Guilt to Rochester's own Coming Down on the Weight We Carry. Soar Ear Collective currently has two releases up for pre-order, the new Buffalo-based band PS Your Dead's Demo Tape and the industrial powerhouse Trace Amount's Obsessive Diagnosis 7-Inch respectively the label 17th and 18th release. For more info on releases, check out Collective.bigcartel.com or their Instagram page at Sorear Collective. I met Mike Jeffers for the first time at a Building on Fire show in Buffalo in 2001. This was during my shirtless mosh phase. I remember at one point I threw my shirt behind Building on Fire's gear. By coincidence, it hit Mike. I thought he was gonna knock me out for sure, but he was cool about it. Mike has played drums for countless bands in Buffalo over the last 25 years. He's also a teacher and married with three kids. What follows is part one of our conversation. How have you been handling the quarantine and how has this adjustment been on your family?
1: Uh, um, I'm going nuts. Uh, I I am very regimented, you know, what I do every day, what I do at night, what I do on the weekends. You know, whether it's, it's getting my kids ready, dropping them off at school, uh, going to work, teaching, you know, um, practicing with my bands at night, uh, doing functions for the, the teachers union. So right now, everything's just in this holding pattern and uh, it's kind of driving me nuts. I've started a million projects um, and haven't really finished anything. Um, my wife and kids, on the other hand, think this is the, the greatest thing that's ever happened to them. Uh, they don't miss school. Um, they, they don't care that they're not really going anywhere except for my backyard uh, or the front yard. Um, they think it's awesome. So it's, you know, it's strange, but, uh, we're not going to go out and, you know, get anybody infected or get infected from anybody else. You know, we just got to sit and wait. And, and, uh, when the time is right, you know, we'll go out my, my wife and kids. Will have an easier adjustment than me. As soon as they say we can go out, I'm going to run down to my rehearsal space and just practice with every band that I possibly can and, you know, get back to business. Yeah. No, I,
0: I felt the same way as your family at first. Like I was like, oh, this is great. I get the unemployment now, but I'm kind of, in, I'm kind of where you are now. It's like I've been going on this for like six, seven weeks now and, and I'm, I'm kind of starting to pull my hair out a little bit, you know? And sure. then today, we, speaking of the, of the people not getting people sick. We actually went for a drive today because it's sometimes easier to get our son to fall asleep in the car. And we drove around the lake and there was, I could not believe how many people were just like out and about not wearing masks. And like the line for the ice cream place was like as long as it would be on a normal day. And I think people are probably just at that point too, where they're just kind of like fed up with it. But it's like, you're saying, we just got to wait a little bit longer and make sure everybody's healthy, you know, cause there's, we all have old people in our family that we don't want to see get sick, you know? Sure. Sure. So all right, so jumping into the, to the more of the topic that people probably came here for, um, tell me about growing up in Queens. Well, I'm originally from Brooklyn, not from Queens.
1: Um, I, you know, I knew I was going to mess that up. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing against Queens, you know. Um, you know, I, I, like I said, I'm originally from Brooklyn, um, and uh, it's, it's New York, you know. It's a, the greatest city in the world. Um, you got people from everywhere, you know, all walks of life, living in the same neighborhood. Um, just existing together. Um, you know, you don't really realize that the world is uh, quite different than New York until you go somewhere else and you realize, you know, like, oh, hey, um, people that don't look the same don't live next to each other. People with different religions don't live next to each other. People don't eat all this great ethnic food. You know, people have completely different views on what the world is. Um, so, like I said, I, I started out in New York and I wound up, um, you know move into the suburbs um just outside of new york city later on to a bigger house um you know we had our my grandmother that lived with us and then I had three brothers so we needed a bigger place to live and uh that was awesome too it was, you know the, the hudson valley so um you know i could be back in manhattan in a half an hour for a show i could go to jersey in in 20 minutes uh, i could go to pennsylvania to see shows i drive out to connecticut and boston You know, up to Albany, you know, in an hour and a half. Um, So, I, I, you know, you don't realize at the time when you're younger that, you know, it's like ground zero for all, you know, to go see all these great shows and be a part of all these great scenes. So I, I, you know, fortunately um, grew up in the right place as far as getting into underground music and being able to, you know, hop on a train or bus or drive uh, to go see all these great shows all over the place.
0: Right. So I guess, uh, when did you first start playing the
1: drums? Um, well, I originally started playing guitar when I was about eight years old. Um, my oldest brother, you know, who's a decade older than me was a guitar player. And, uh, he was, a, he was a, super into music, super into, into metal and, you know, first wave punk. And I always used to want to be just like him. So when I was about eight, um, you know, my parents got me a a smaller guitar, you know, a kid size guitar so I could learn to play. And for two years, you know, I just, you know, strummed around, you know, figuring out how to play like Aerosmith songs and and stuff like that. And I'd say at about 10, um, my other brother, who's eight years older than me, he actually had a drum set that was in the basement. Um, And I'd go down there and I didn't know how to put it together. um, But I kind of figured, you know, uh, as best I could, put the pieces in the right order and just started teaching myself to play drums. Um, so i say at 10, so I've been playing drums for about 35 years and that's, that's, that's my main instrument. Yeah, no, that's
0: that you actually kind of referenced what I was going to ask you about playing other instruments. So I guess we'll kind of skip that part. Mm -hmm. Um,
1: did you play in any bands before you came to Buffalo? Yes, absolutely. Um, actually one of my projects during quarantine was, uh, going through um, all like my my tapes in my basement and I came across like demo tapes from uh, when I was in junior high school and high school and I found one from like a high school band I was in um, the tape was from 1991 we played like one of our friends like 16th birthday parties and uh, we played like Ramon songs Agent Orange, uh, Violent Femmes Minor Threat and then a bunch of our own originals um, you know, we were really weren't a, a very good band, but, uh, you know, we, 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 had the right idea for it. Um, when I was in, in high school though, um, there weren't, there weren't many kids who were into hardcore, maybe five, um, you know, uh, and, and there weren't a whole lot of skaters. There were more skaters when I was in middle school. It was probably like a hundred kids. the time I got to high school, there was like four of us. Um, so I just had to play with who, whoever, uh, I could. So, I mean, like the one band I was in actually like the captain of the football team, you know, play guitar in the band. Um, uh, it was it was kind of strange, and uh, I didn't really give much thought to you know playing seriously in a band uh, until I I moved to Buffalo. Um, you know, initially, uh, you know, playing in bands was just something I did you know for fun. I went to see shows for fun, but for me, it was all just about skating, and all they did you know was was just. Skate every day, and that was my biggest concern. So when I actually moved to Buffalo, I didn't even bring a drum set with me.
0: You know, but okay. So now, I'm guessing you kind of uh, alluded to this a little bit, but moving to Buffalo for college from from the Brooklyn area and, and Hudson Valley, I guess at that point, it must have been a pretty big transition for you. Um, do you ever miss uh, living in Brooklyn or the Hudson Valley, or do you prefer Buffalo at this point? Um,
1: all right. Well, <laughs> yeah, I, I I miss living. Uh well I'll just call it downstate because you know if 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 you're from New York, um you know if you live up in Buffalo and you're talking about New York City, that's that's downstate. Um yeah, I miss it. I miss it a lot. I miss a lot of my friends. Um I miss how you know there's so much to do that didn't require money. You know, you just walk around and watch people all day. The stores were open later. Uh there were way more shows and way more stores you know to shop at. Um with that being said. Um, you know, I, I came to Buffalo, you know, Buffalo had a, a good music scene, um, you know, when I got here, you know, um, ZT was, you know, fading out, um, but Fade Away was still playing, Slugfest was still playing, Snapcase, um, you know, Gathering Ground, um, I just so many awesome indie rock bands that were here, uh, so there was a ton of good record stores, you know, Home of the Hits, uh, Worldwide Records you know. um, So when I got here, it it, it wasn't the the, the part of the transition that was hardest wasn't uh, that the city was so different. I mean, obviously, it's smaller. um, And and it does look like, you know, parts of Queens or Long Island, there's not a lot of skyscrapers or anything here. Um, You know, it was just uh, being away from from my family, uh, my friends, you know, for the first time that that was the, the biggest adjustment, just getting used to just you know, having to take care of everything on your own.
0: Right. Yeah, no, that's, that's, I actually, I, I'm not sure if you know this, I didn't even go to college, but a lot of my friends that went, um, that's kind of similar to what they would say. They would, they would get really homesick right away, which is weird because we live, you know, we grew up in Rochester. You wouldn't think people would be homesick Sure. from this area, but you know, it's, it's, it is tough moving away from your family and friends. I mean, I learned that, you know, when I was in my mid twenties and I did the whole cross country traveling thing or whatever. Oh yeah, So. Um so i guess we'll we'll cut we we'll get into union then um that was the first band of yours that I saw um tell me about that experience all right
1: so uh union we started in the well i'm a year older than than the main guys who are in union i I guess I should go back all right so initially union um was me uh on drums, keith brown um who wound up being the singer um he was in the band uh, Vic, the guitar player. Um, and we had Jeremy Mazguy who was in envy. Um, he was playing with us when we were called face down. Um, <clears throat> after a while, Jeremy didn't want to be in the band anymore because he was, he was focusing on envy. Uh, so we got my buddy, Ben, um, you know, another, he's from Long Island. Uh, he actually, you know, grew up around the corner for my aunt and, uh, my cousins. So he, he wound up playing playing bass for us instead. Um, we put out our first record in, in 1995 uh, on a label called Knowledge Records. It was started by a friend of ours from Long Island named Dave Cohen, who went to college with us. Um, he actually changed the name of the label to Fade Away Records um, after us. And he put out stuff from like uh, the movie Life um, and a bunch of, you know, Long Island bands that, that were, were very popular at the time. Um, after our first record, um, Scott Sprig, who's from Buffalo, he would uh he would he'd be at every one of our shows. I used to skate with Scott all the time, go to shows with him, hang out with him, and he'd play guitar and he would just keep bugging man. I want to play guitar, man. I want to play guitar in the band. And um, you know, finally um, you know, we let him have a shot at it and and he wound up joining. Um should I keep going from there?
0: Well, I guess well, I guess the other follow up I would have would be, as you know, I interviewed Rob last week yep. and, and his memory of kind of he remember when he joined the band, but he didn't really remember like the whole era. So you remember like you have any memories of what when he joined the band and stuff like that? Or Yeah.
1: OK, so we, we put out our first record, um, like I said, on knowledge records. And, and that was before uh, Scott Sprigg was in the band. Um, Sprigg joins. Um, we write a bunch of new songs. We go out to Saladay Studio in Boston with with Brian McTernan. Uh, and we record our um, first release for Ferret. It's called In the Shadows. Um, anyway, uh, we, we start playing all around Northeast, Midwest, uh, down the down the East Coast. You know, we wind up doing a, a big tour with uh, Despair, um, Brothers Keeper, and Turmoil. Um, and I in Rob's podcast, um, you had mentioned that you were at the Buffalo show that we did on New Year's. Um, yeah. And then you made the, the you know, the Titus reference, right? And uh, yep. So after we got back from the tour, um, Vic, our guitar player, he was, I'd say, six months before, was already starting to get into more indie rock and wanting to play more indie rock than anything. Um, and me and Vic had, had started a band called Pace Car, uh, that went for a couple of months, played like one or two shows, and I got bored with it. Um, but anyway, Vic decided he was, he just wanted to keep playing indie rock. So, you know, he was out of the band and we were trying out different guitar players. And uh, I had met Rob um, and I'm calling him Rob because I realize everybody knows him as such, but you know, um, in Buffalo, we all call him Bob, but I'll call him Rob just for the sake of argument. Um, he used to come <laughs> down to our practices when uh, union would practice in um, a lecture hall in the dorms at UB, because it was the only place that was free. And we could practice, you know, as much as we want, as loud as we wanted. Um, and Rob had mentioned it was a big brick room uh, with, with chairs in it. Um, and they were more like movie theater ones. So they had cloth on it that it would absorb the sound. But him and his friends and other people would hear us. They'd come in and watch us play. So one day I just started talking to him and hanging out with him. I, I was a really cool kid. And uh, he was doing a band called Field Project at the time, which, which wasn't hardcore. Uh, and I know he didn't mention their name in his podcast. Um, they're just like a, you know, goofy college band, you know, but he gave me their recording and I'm like, Oh, this kid can play. So I kept telling the guys in union. I said, look, I know this guy, you know, Rob, he's going to be our guitar player. And uh, I'm like, Oh, we don't know. We don't really know this kid. I'm like, no, nah, he's going to come down once and and he's our guy. Trust me. So he came down. Uh, he could play all of our songs. You the the guys loved him. So that was, you Know right before the show, you had mentioned seeing sick of it all, AFI and Union at the show place on uh April Fool's Day in '97. Uh, so that was his first show with us, and um, <clears throat> we'd actually recorded you know right after our second seven inch for Ferret, uh, which was called You Fell For It. Um, that came out in '97, and Rob was on it, and uh, you know, we just we kept doing pretty much most of the same stuff that we had been doing, you know. Um, primarily just playing around the Northeast from when, you know, Rob had joined the band until when we called it a day. Uh, the, the end of the band was, was very abrupt, kind of came out of nowhere. Um, I had already graduated from college. I'm like, I'm older than the other guys. And, and, uh, they were entering like their, their, their senior year. I think we're, we're feeling the pressure that, you know, maybe we should step away from the band, try and graduate. Um, you know, and, 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 you know, I guess get on with the next phase of their lives. Um, so Bob was, was in the band for a very short period of time, but we played a lot of big shows. Um, you know, our record got a lot of press and moved around to a lot of places, uh, you know, made the, the, the band's name get out there even more. Um, but unfortunately it just, it just by the fall of 97, uh, the, the guys were, you know, concentrating on graduating from college. Um, but we did, we did wind up playing, um, a reunion show in May of 98 at the Showplace theater, um, shut down and disciple and voice killer, a band me and Bob did after union were playing together. And, uh, there was another band that was supposed to play. I can't remember who it was. Um, but the promoters like, dude, the other band canceled. Is there anything you can do? You know, like, um, you know most of your union guys are already here. he just hop up and play, so we actually like wound up hopping on stage and and playing playing like one last set. you know Unfortunately, the only people who knew we were going to do that were the people who were at the shutdown show um and shutdown really wasn't terribly popular in Buffalo, so it really wasn't a super well attended show so it's kind of unfortunate that you know the the band went out on such a whimper um but you know, we're all still very close with one another. We, we all talk to each other weekly. Um, you know, stranger things have happened. We'll see what happens in the future. I mean, after this, this whole pandemic is over, um, you know, people are going to want to do a lot of crazy things they thought they would never do. <laughs>
0: One quick follow-up question, then we'll move on. Um, you were referencing those movie theater seats. I, I remember seeing a picture of, of you guys all sitting in seats like yep. that. Is that where that picture was taken? yeah
1: if it's the one where I'm wearing like a, a New York Yankee jersey and have like a nose ring and uh, I got some furious neck armor krishna beads then yep that's that's the one you
0: know? <laughs> yeah, you know it's funny you mentioned the beads too. I've been looking at all these old pictures, and even watching the the Building on Fire documentary, uh, Licky from Stanfast was wearing them hmm. still in like two thousand and one. So those were definitely popular for a while there. Yeah, you know what, man. Um,
1: when um, when when I was uh, you know, wrapping up high school and starting college, um, you know, it was when when like the Krishna core thing really hit, and um, you know, you would you would go to a show and and you know, uh, shows were so different then because you know it was always someone with a distro who was selling records. You always had people who had literature out for you know for animal rights or veganism, and then you had the the Krishnas who were there, you know, trying to sell you a copy of the Bhagavad Gita. And uh, selling beads and stuff like that, and um, you know, Shelter is like one of my favorite hardcore bands ever. Um, granted, there are some albums from them I don't like as much as others, you know. But the the message and Ray's lyrics were something that always resonated with me, and it, and obviously a lot of people throughout the hardcore scene. So we started, you know, emulating wearing the the, the Krishna beads as part of our you know everyday outfits you know um which some people took it to an extreme you know um <laughs> rob from one king town definitely had more neck armor than anybody back in the day you know
0: yeah um so i i, I only think i because i got into it a little bit later i only saw people selling the krishna books maybe outside of a fest once but um in doing some research for this interview i, I remember on mark miller's podcast you were saying that you know you're not really super into organized religion obviously so I, I take it you probably never really actually got into, like, Christian and stuff like that. You more just, like, you know,
1: appreciated the, the lyric message and stuff like that then, right? Or No, no, no. The, the, the reason I'm not, like, in organized religion is because I just don't think anyone's ever gotten it right, ever. Um, you know, I was raised Catholic. Um, you know, I went to Sunday school every week. You know, did the communion thing, did my confirmation. Um, but I don't know, just something never felt right because you know my neighbors were were jewish my buddies were jewish my other friends were hindu you know i you know friends whose parents were atheists and agnostics and they're all good people no one was you know everyone's law body no one's breaking the law and um you know it just it struck me as as odd you know that uh the church was against you know people who got divorced or people who were gay um and that that stuff always irked me. Um, so I'm a very spiritual person and I liked a lot of the spiritual aspects of Krishna. Um, you know, I, I never became one, you know, cause there's, they've obviously had plenty of controversy with, you know, um, what was done with the money that they took in. You know, if you, if you look into the, the Chicago Krishna temple and some of the stuff that was going on there, you'll understand, you know, um, I just don't think anybody's got it right. I mean, I, I have a pentagram tattooed on me. I have a shelter tattoo, you know, um, it, it's just, like I said, um, it, whatever works for anybody is, is, is fine. Um, I just like my own children, I did baptize them. Um, not because I necessarily want them to be Catholic, but I figure when they get older, if they decide they want to go to church or want to get married in the Catholic church, like they're good, they're covered now, you know? so it's a strange relationship i have but i i am very very spiritual i guess and you know i i'd like to think that after we leave this plane of existence there is something more
0: yeah no i agree with you i um i grew up catholic as well and we have a son now as i think you're probably aware of and i i wouldn't mind getting him baptized but my girlfriend is definitely not a fan of organized religion at all so i i kind of leave that subject alone with her Sure. um so, I think you kind of mentioned voice killer and if i'm if i 'm bringing any of these bands up in the wrong order because you 've been in like you know seven thousand <laughs> bands um, feel free to stop me and tell me you know if I miss a band or something sure um but yes yeah, so let let 's go with voice killer then If I remember correctly, that band was fairly short lived
1: um but do you have any good memories of that era from that band? Yeah, the whole thing was awesome um you know Union broke up, and that was a it was a bummer um that was you know November, but by december. You know, me and Rob and Vic, who had left Union and Rob took his place, we decided to, to do a band together um, called Voice Killer. And, you know, as Rob said, we got Justin Shubring to play bass. Justin was the bass player of the band Disengage, um, you know, with Doug White and Jay Galvin. Jeez, uh, I can't remember the name uh, of the record label. They, they put out a 7-inch on a label out of uh, Connecticut. And, um, yeah, I remember we, we wrote – you know, we wrote eight songs to start, um, and my buddy Aaron McPherson—he was the singer. He was um, one of the first people I met when I moved to Buffalo. Um, he's still, still my best friend. He lives right down the street. His parents actually live a couple doors down from me. Um, he sang for the band, and uh, our first show was with Elliot and uh, a band called Angels in the Architecture from Buffalo. Um, they were local guys. And I just remember we sold like 150 or 160 demo tapes at our first show. And the thing is, I had only brought 50 with me. And as they were selling, I had my girlfriend at the time, who who's now my wife. She went back to our apartment, grabbed one of my uh, dual cassette deck, um, you know, tape players, brought it to the show place with a, with a stack of tapes. And we were dubbing them upstairs in, uh, you know, the band room you know, folding and cutting out, you know, layouts and stuff and tapes and then running them back downstairs to sell them. So like we we got off to like a, a really, really good start and people really seemed to dig it. And then, uh, you know, Aaron, um, as there's no slight against him, uh, he's older than me. Um, so I, I think we put him about like 25 or 26 at the time I think he just went, was going through like a mid twenties crisis and was like, I can't, I can't do the band. I, I, I gotta get, I gotta get my life together. And and he bailed. Um, so we were like, well, we don't want to stop doing the band. The band's awesome. What do we do? So Rob is like, you know, well, why not? I'll sing. So we're like, okay. So, you know, I, and then Rob had said we'd gone back in the studio and we had put his vocals over the original eight. And then we also recorded three new songs um, with Rob singing. And we just played a, a couple of shows after that. I, I want to say I remember one show with uh, like Collision at uh, the Mercury Theater in Buffalo, and Envy. There was a third band I can't remember who it was, um, and and then after that the band just you know kind of fizzled out. Um, but it was it was a good time, and you know once again like I, obviously I'm still tight with Bob, uh, Vic from EMI. I'm still tight with Justin Schubring. I actually talked to him this morning you know, we're still very tight with each other. Uh, it's just, I don't know, being in, being in a hardcore band or being in a punk band, you know, it's, it's hard to commit your life to it. Um, you know, some people have it and they can just keep doing it forever. Um, you know, some people just, it's, it's too uncertain for them and it, or it doesn't work into their schedule. So it's like no bad blood, uh, with it, you know, whatsoever. All
0: right. Um, I think that should bring us to uh dead to the world then. Um, I feel like Rob pretty much covered the origin of the band pretty well, but do you, th- but was there anything he missed that you'd want to add to that or anything? <laughs> um, no, the
1: band was, the band was awesome, dude. It, and it was a very, very short amount of time. It was like, like um, like basically like a two year period. You know, we, we recorded a demo um, within like two months after, after voice killers demise. Uh, next thing we know, you know, uh, I was already tight with Jamie from Haybreed. I knew him before I even moved to Buffalo. Um, and then obviously when Union was going, Jamie would book a lot of shows for us. We, we'd play, our bands would play shows all the time. So right away, he's like, you know, he wanted to do something. Um, and then it, it, it's all, it's just, it, it was just incredible. Like, all right, you like the demo, you're going to put out the record. All right, so this is what we're doing now. We're just touring every single weekend. Um, and, and we did that like crazy. Um, and then, you know, once our full length eventually came out, uh, which was a a year after we recorded it, um, we wound up doing a tour with, with, um, Shai Hulud and One King Down. And, uh, by the time we got back, um. See, once again, it's 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 me—the curse of being the oldest guy in the band. You know, I'm just ready book book more shows, show, 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 show. But Vinny and Rob were still in college, and uh, you know they needed to get their degrees, so they had to to step back. And unfortunately, it was like when we were, had started gaining like the most momentum because we had released our our split with uh, Kid Gorgeous on Red Star Records as well. You know, we had had that comp track on the Sound and Fury comp. I uh, had all these releases, you know, lined up, tours lined up, Europe and everything. Um, but those guys, you know, they had to finish school. Um, I did continue with the band after Rob and Vinny had left um, with, you know, Dave Steele, Steve Maynard, Nate Black from Abnegation, from Erie. They would drive to Buffalo for practices and then on weekends if we were playing out west i would drive the van to erie they'd hop in and we continue westward if we were playing out east they would drive to buffalo hop in the van then we'd head out eastward um and we wrote some really cool songs we didn't get to record them because it just if you don't all live in the same city it's extremely hard to do a band with people traveling long distances it was you know just too much to ask those guys to drive 2 hours every week you know once to practice And then on the weekends, go out on the road, you know, um, when they didn't even live in the same town as me. Uh, But it was it was a ton of fun. We got to do a lot of really, really cool stuff, Um, played with, you know, all the the most important bands of the time. And, uh, you know, being on that label, you know, just just helped enable me to keep going and doing other bands later on down the road.
0: Yeah, Jamie was a real workhorse back then. I mean, that that was a real inspiration for me when I started my label and all the stuff that I was doing. I, I looked to see like what people like him were doing. And it was like, you know, if he can do this in Connecticut, I should be able to try and do it here. Um, now, you're talking about the weekend schedule that you brought up that obviously Rob wasn't a part of. And then Rob mentioning like I, how you would drive overnight to get back so he could be to school on Mondays. <laughs> like to me, that sounds really exhausting. Like were you ever exhausted from doing that? Or is it just cause like you're a workhorse too, that it was like nothing for no,
1: you? I, it's not, I, I mean, honestly, dude, I, I sleep like four hours a night. Um, I'm like Leslie Nope from parks and recreation, like where I, I, I just can't sleep. I'm always doing something. But also I was an older guy. I had already graduated, you know? um, I figured I had a responsibility and, and actually that's the thing. You know, I, I remember you know, talking to Rob's mom and Vinny's, Vinny's parents, you know, telling them, yes, we're doing the band. We tour a lot, but the the guys aren't going to, they're not going to flunk out of school. I can promise you that. So, you know, I don't know. We we could be in Chicago on a Sunday night, finish a show at like 11 o'clock. And I'm like, all right, we're going to gas up. We're going to stop at a big boy, you know, get something to eat. And uh, I'm just going to haul back to Buffalo. You guys sleep. And we'd pull into town, you know, the next morning, eight o'clock in the morning. I drop the guys off at their houses. They had already slept all night, so they just get ready, get in their cars, and go to school, you know. But um, I figured it was better to be in a band that is um out there playing every weekend if we couldn't do, you know, a, a month at a time, you know. Um we did a ton of touring, but just by doing weekends, just being strategic, like okay, this weekend we're gonna play uh, you know. Uh, Vermont and uh, Massachusetts and Connecticut, you know, next weekend we'll go play down and we'll go play in New York. We'll play in Jersey. We'll go play in, in Pennsylvania. The weekend after that, you know, we'll, we'll do a bunch of shows in Canada. And then, you know, so I just would think up me and Jamie would sit there and strategically plan all this stuff. And then, you know, like the one King down, shy hood tour was cool because, you know, I, I said, Jamie, look, these guys are going to be on spring break from school. So we got a couple of weeks here let's try and hit all these places that, that you know we haven't um, because i can have them out for a longer stretch of time so we were very methodical about how we did it and we got a lot done even though these guys were back you know monday morning so they could they could finish their college educations
0: right and and actually you you kind of referenced it a little bit there one thing that i think some people who either weren't around then or, or might not even have even known is is in addition to being in a band and, and running a label, Jamie was booking tours for tons of bands too. Because I remember he was, he booked a Shai Hulud yep. tour that came here, and I'm I'm guessing he was booking them then yeah. too. So that's just I mean, you don't see that kind of stuff now. I mean, there's maybe a couple people in the scene that that wear that many hats, but now it seems like you know people might do like one or two things, but like like he was doing like everything back then. Yeah, you know? well, I mean, he had the um, band,
1: he had the label, he had a management company, he owned a record store. But also in 2000, you know, his daughter was born. So he had a newborn and, you know, I was like 25, 26 years old. Jamie, you know, was 24 years old, you know, and he's, he's got a baby to take care of, too. So that's why he always hustled so much, you know, and he, he had his hands in right, everything that, yeah. because that was the, the, the best way for him to put food on the table for his, his kid.
0: Yeah, no, that makes sense. Now I think you have one more uh, piece of current news for dead of the world that I saw kind of floating around <laughs> the Instagram. say, do you want to talk about
1: that? Yeah, at all, yeah. This, Why? Well, this is kind of crazy. So like I said, I've been down in my basement. Um, I, I guess I should just reference it like this. So people don't think I'm just like insane. Um, I have a really good memory and I'm not nostalgic per se. Um, I don't think back in the day was necessarily the greatest thing in the world compared to today. You know, it's just different, but um, I generally don't forget stuff, but when I was in my basement the other day, apparently I did forget one thing. And, um, when dead world was on stillborn, we went into Watchmen with our original singer, uh, Kyle, and we recorded a full length. It came out fantastic. Literally within a week after recording it, um, Kyle exited the band. So, oh, geez, what are we going to do now? You know, Jamie's going to be pissed. He dropped a bunch of money doing this record. So I just called him up. I said, Jamie, this is what happened with Kyle. He's out. Don't worry. We've got this guy, Josh, who's going to replace him. Um, you know, we'll just go back in the studio and we'll put new, put new vocals down. And uh, Jamie's like, no, nope. no, nah, just go back in. Just, just re-record everything. Um, but I only want eight songs. Um, those other two and and their two songs, he's like, um, don't worry about them. So we went back in the studio record with Josh. Um, the record came out eight songs on stillborn stillborn records, 19. It was beyond the sterile existence. Um, but the recording with Kyle on it, the full length that we did, which was called when the world is your poison never came out. So I completely put it out of my mind. Um, and the other day I'm looking around in my basement through all these demo tapes and stuff like that. And I, I came across the the CD. I'm like, what the fuck is this? So, you know, I, I I called Bob and I told him, he's like, oh, man, I totally forgot about that. So we went back and we listened to it. I'm like, geez, this is awesome. These songs have like different intros, different arrangements, uh, different tempos, um, you know, a different mix. And I'm like, you know what, man, let's let's put it out. So, you know, I have like a a crappy, I shouldn't say, I guess, I guess I shouldn't call it crappy. That's kind of insulting. I have a, a, a label called classic core records. Um, and I only put out CDs because they're cheap. So I could put out more stuff that I wanted to use to just put out, you know, like forgotten Buffalo bands, um, who I thought deserved a lot. You know, um, I could talk more about that later. Some of the stuff I've done so far. Um, so, yeah, we're going to put out this record that was initially going to come out on Stillborn called When the World is Your Poison. Um, Bob just got me the artwork for it. I'm, I'm actually submitting it later tonight when we get off the phone. So in a few weeks, it'll be out there and we'll get it up onto the, the, the digital platforms as well. Um, but, yeah, it, w- it was crazy. You know, every now and then, um, I guess I can forget stuff. Uh, I have just been so busy for the past like 30 years playing in band after band after band after band after band that I've never really gotten the chance to like sit down and like digitize all of my demo tapes or digitize all the videos of the bands I've been in, you know, from, from union dead to the world, you know, a million other bands. I just, I've just never had time. I haven't had a chance to like catalog all my flyers. Um So it's kind of cool in the sense like this pandemic is happening because I I'm, I'm going through my basement and finding this stuff. Like, I didn't even think about, you know, for years. Um, you know, is it, I guess what I'm saying is I never really have taken the time to just like sit back and be like, Oh man, there's a lot of really cool things. You know, a lot of cool shit has happened over the past 30 years. Um, so yeah, this dead of the world thing is going to be really cool because it's Kyle singing on it. And our buddy, Chris Kubiak, um, who was in the band after our demo, um, he played bass on it after we recorded, he had actually left the band too. Um, so it's awesome. It, it just, you know, just kind of like me and Bob got really, really psyched, um, uh, and reinvigorated on, on the, on the band in general.
0: Yeah, no, that's, I mean, it seems like there's a lot of that going around now. I, I you, you know, there's, I, well, another thing I've noticed too, even before the pandemic is like there has been kind of, quite a bit of nostalgia involved in hardcore the last few years. But obviously now I feel like with us all being trapped inside, we're all kind of just pulling out all of our, our boxes and totes and just finding all sorts of. Treasures. Yeah. I, I I mean, I gotta be honest, um, it's
1: weird. Like, um, bands that were not big in the nineties at all are huge now with these kids who are, you know, 18 to like 24 years old. And I'm like, Jesus Christ, that band like literally couldn't, couldn't get their, their moms to show up to see them play. And these kids are like discovering them. They think they're awesome, you know? And, uh, it's just weird how things work and you know, who knows? I mean, you know, um, who knows what they'll get into next. I actually am very psyched because it's cool to see like these crops of new bands coming along and they're doing, you know, this mid nineties, like metal core sound that they have and putting a little bit of a new spin on it, but it's, it, it's cool. Um, you know, as much as I love straight edge hardcore, um, I, it, it's cool to see younger kids instead of just doing a straight edge band, like, Hey, we're going to do some kind of a, you know, a crossover style band, you know, maybe it sounds like best wishes and, instead of sounding like side by side. So it's, it, it, it's, it's kind of cool, but it, it does blow my mind how these kids are finding bands that were not popular in the slightest. And, and like they're getting into them, you know, I won't say what bands, you know, but <laughs> like I said,
0: right now I can, yeah, I can picture yeah, it. It, it. It's, it's yeah. insane. And, and, and I agree with you too. I mean, I was never a huge metalcore fan, but at the same time, like as I got older, kind of like what you're saying, like you can only hear the same like straight edge three chords played so many different ways, you know, and it just kind of gets to a point where you you like to hear a little bit of variance with your, with your music, oh, absolutely. you know, um,
1: you know, and, and that's you know? the thing, dude, you know, when, when, so, I was, when I was growing up, you know, my, my older brother was like the, the person I wanted to be him, you know, he played guitar, he had long hair, he had the earring, you know, he, he, he loved Priest, he loved Maiden, but he loved Adam and the Ants. You know, he loved The Clash. He loved early U2. And, you know, I got into all that. But then because I was a skater, you know, I got into the Black Flag and Agent Orange and the Dead Kennedys and the Descendants and, and things like that. Um, I loved Metallica growing up. And, uh, you know, I just lived in the right place. You go down to, you know, anywhere in, in, in Manhattan, in lower Manhattan, you know, and catch a punk show one weekend, next weekend, go see um, a thrash band, you know, then, then go see, you know, something that's more metallic. Um, There was just so many options. So I like never really was into one thing ever. I've always been into a ton of different styles of music. Um, And it seems like some of these younger kids, um, they're kind of giving more than one style of hardcore, you know, a shot now. Where, you know, my generation of kids like, all right, those dudes are, are straight ish hardcore kids. These dudes are metalcore kids. Those are just metal heads. You know, those are like indie rock and emo dudes. And I mean, emo in like the, the, the D.C. emo, not the My Chemical Romance emo. Um, you know, so it's just uh, it, it's just kind of weird the way music has gone. And, and it's not I know people my age are supposed to just hate everything that young people do. And and don't get me wrong, I, I there's plenty that I hate that young bands are doing, but there's a lot of new bands that, you know, I've seen come through Buffalo because the younger guys here, you know, um, have brought some cool bands around I'm like, Jesus, dude, they're, this stuff is still alive and well, and these kids are putting a really awesome spin on, on, you know, what's been done before.
0: Yeah, no, I agree. I had take I had taken like probably, you know, to be honest, like a year or two off from really checking out a lot of newer bands, and then. Um, uh, I got into like a car accident last year, and and so I had some downtime. And and hearing some of these newer bands, it's it's like it's it's just crazy the, uh, just the different sounds that are coming out now. You know, like there's a lo- there's a lot of bands, like you're saying, that they, it's not really necessarily a new sound, but the spin that they're putting on it is is definitely original, and it and it's and it's Absolutely. nice to hear. Yeah, you know, no doubt. So uh, um, so going on with I, I again, I think we're in order, and if I'm if I'm if I'm off, sure. it, I'll just let me know. Um, one thing that I didn't even realize about you. Um, again, until I was researching this, I found it on like, uh, discogs and, and you, you referenced it in the Mark Miller interview a little bit is I didn't even realize you were yeah. in the control. <laughs> so how long, how long did you do that for? And, and what was it like playing with those All guys? Right. It
1: was, it was real short. It was like six months. Um, so after Rob and Vinny left out of the world, um, I had the guys from abnegation, um, you know, coming up from Erie to play, we practice once a week and then will be on the weekends, but on the other days I had time and CAC had left the control and uh far side um and jeremy had asked if i had any interest in maybe playing with them you know um and it was my understanding in all honesty that was just going to be until they found a new drummer um which turned out uh was not how they they saw it going later on but um i love the band i always thought they were awesome They practiced in the room next to me i thought kevin was one of the best you know frontman in Buffalo hardcore ever. He was captivating to watch. Um, I think it was like Jeremy Smith's best writing, you know, that he had done in a band. And uh, I love Farside's bass playing. Uh, Farside's one of the best dudes, like I've known in Buffalo. He he was actually one of the first Buffalo people, you know, to make me feel welcome, you know, in Buffalo. Uh, a lot of people in Buffalo are very standoffish to newcomers. Um, and I totally understand why. Um, <clears throat> you know, uh Buffalo's a college town. So you got a lot of people who show up here, they're here for a short period of time, and then they go home for the summer, they go home for Christmas, they do their four years and then they move back to wherever they are. But Farside like treated me awesome right off the bat. So I get into the control and uh they had, you know, just decided that they were going to do uh an EP for reflections records and they had a comp track that they were going to do for suburban voice, you know, Al Quince, uh, magazine. So I wrote was, was with them and was part of writing the songs that all wound up being on the side army P. Um, and then, uh, the suburban voice track. And, and honestly, I forgot, I would have sent you like, you know, the tracks that I had played on, um, so I wound up going in a washroom with them and I recorded, um, two songs with them. Um, one of them wound up being for the suburban voice comp, the other, the other track that, you know, was decided not to be used for that, um, wound up going on the sidearm EP. Now, like I said, dead of the world was still going at, at the same time. So dead of the world had a tour with, uh, Heybreed and blood for blood. And, uh, This was going into the fall of 2000 and uh, the control was offered a tour with the movie life. And, um, you know, I told the guys, like, I, I can't, I can't do the tour at the movie life. You know, I said, dead of the world's my baby, you know, like I started the band, I helped write the songs, you know, I've been doing this for, you know, a couple of years. I got a lot invested, and, you know, Heybreed and and blood for blood are, are more my style. Um, and those guys were very, very angry with me. Um, actually Jeremy was just angry with me and he's got every right to be, uh, cause he was under the assumption I wanted to just be in the band. Um, and I honestly thought, you know, I just had to wait until they found another drummer. So it, it, it took a few years. Me and Jeremy are totally cool. Um, you know, but it, I can understand cause the movie life was a, was a popular band at the time. Um, luckily they found Steve Kerfin to play drums. Um, and, and, and he joined the band after I had stepped out and I only did play like one live show with them, uh, at the atomic in Buffalo. I can't remember who it was with maybe, maybe the pavers possibly. Um, Jeremy actually sent me a picture, uh, playing drums from that show like a year ago. Um, but they were a great band. I think they're a highly underrated Buffalo band. Uh, you know, I, I wish the timing could have worked out better because, um, you know, those those three guys and me you know would have had a lot of fun and wrote a lot of really really cool stuff
0: Yeah, no. Jeremy's always been a good songwriter, and I think uh, I think you said Kevin yeah, was Kevin his name, was their good. vocalist. Um, yeah, he he um, he was in a band before that because I, I came more from like the punk hardcore scene before I started yeah. getting into like the heavier stuff. And he was in a band called the O City Bombers that used to play up here at the yeah. dance all the time. And then even even as recently as like 2012, when I booked a couple shows, he sang for a band called yep. Beardage, and uh, my friend Adam was in the band, so I had no problem booking them, yep. obviously. And it was just cool to kind of still see yeah, him doing Eric his Foster thing. Yeah, you know? was in
1: Beardage too.
0: Um, um,
1: yeah, Kevin. Yeah, Kevin. Just exactly. you couldn't keep your eyes so, off of him, whether he was singing for a band or he was playing bass. You know, there's there's just something about him. You know, he had that magnetism, um, and just, right. just such a good person too. Yeah. You know, I don't think I I I, I ever mm-hmm. didn't smile. You know, when I saw him, you know, he's just just a great guy.
0: Right. So I think at this point we're moving into Herod um and that's and that's when you obviously did a, a pretty pretty big shift uh sonically um now give everyone a, a good idea of, of what that band has <laughs> all right. done
1: all right well harrod was a reaction to what was going on in the hardcore scene at the time right you had all this like fashion core bullshit going on you know people with black spiky hair um wearing you know pink ties and white belts and um like nothing to do with hardcore everything was about like you know, oh, we're, you know, we're so rock and roll. We're going to get girls, you know, like it was just fucking lame. You know, I'm like, this isn't hardcore. It's not punk. It's just like a s- bunch of suburban dudes. And like, no offense, like all you guys are just playing new metal, but you're slapping X's on either side of your name and calling it hardcore. It's like you're fucking new metal bands. You know, I wanted nothing to do with it. I'm like, you want to see what the fuck metal is? Uh, you know, we'll show you metal. So <clears throat> Dead of the World called it a day. Uh, it was early November of 2000. By December of 2000, um, me and Jesse, who was in here, Jesse Banker, um, you know, I contacted him. He had played bass in Kid Gorgeous a little bit here and there. And uh, I was like, Jess, let's start a band. But I wanted to, you know, it's going to sound crazy, but I went across like Judas Priest and Sepultura with Integrity and Striper. He's like, fucking Striper, what the hell do you mean? You know, obviously not like <laughs> lyrically, um, but anybody, you know, who, really knows how to play, you know, like, dude, those guys really know how to, how to shred. They write amazing riffs. They, you know, uh, they're fantastic leads. They're great players. So me and him went, we wrote a bunch of songs and then we, you know, we handpicked the other guys who were going to fill out the band from there. And, uh, because this is not really hardcore related, I'll just, I'll keep Herod brief. Now Herod, um, to date has put out seven records, um, on, Labels like Sounds of Revolution, Too Damn Hype, Life Force, and Dark Harvest records. Um, The initial point of the band when we started was we wanted to be a reaction to all the crap that we felt was going on in the hardcore scene. And um, basically we wanted to start with more downtuned guitars, not new metal downtuned, just downtuned, you know, half-step growling vocals, and then gradually start interject singing and switch over completely to sing. So the first two records we put out, we had like just hardcore dudes showing up at our shows and it was fucking great. You know, like, Oh, jeff has got another band. You know, everyone's moshing. Everybody's having a good time. was super popular like in Buffalo. And then our singer turned out he really couldn't sing, you know, he could scream. So we parted with him. We actually got an actual singer singer and Everybody who was in a hardcore, like, immediately was like, "Yo, I don't like this band anymore. Um, But we wound up on bigger labels, doing bigger tours, um, you know, traveling all over the world. Every magazine, our stuff available in every store, videos on MTV, Music Choice Channel, everything that you could do at the time. We're doing all this insane stuff. And none of my hardcore friends back in Buffalo liked it at all. When we played in Buffalo, it was all, like, these, these metal heads um, which are cool, man. You know, like I love metal. I love metal heads, but it wasn't like my friends. And uh, it, it came to the point where it's just like we kept doing the band um, only because we love it. It was just, you know, but my own friends here didn't like it. So it was, it was kind of uh, <laughs> kind of very strange. Like I said, we haven't, we haven't played a show in five years um, because the other members, you know, we all have wives and kids and jobs. And there's been divorces, people switching careers. Um, And then also I play in like a hundred other bands. So it's just like, eventually we'll we'll get back together and we'll, we'll put out another record. Um, But it is definitely one of the the favorite bands I've ever done in my life, you know, because um, the records are all clean singing, you know, something that, um, you know, when we started the band, I'm like, Oh, I want to write something like, so when I'm 50, you know, I'll put it on in the car and still listen to it. You know, as opposed to something that might have like real guttural screams. Well, now I'm almost 50 anyway, and I, I do still listen to it. So I had that right. Um, but it was a fantastic band, you know, with uh, great people. You know, unfortunately, me and Jesse were the, the ones who started the band, um, and we're the only ones who've been on every single Herod release, you know. Um, but, you know, that's neither here nor there. But um, even with Herod going on, I, I still did do hardcore bands in there also. You know, between tours and stuff like that.
0: Right. Now I know you're saying that the band your original goal was kind of a middle finger to the to the fashion core crap that was going on at the time, which I agree was was pretty lame. I, I think you know me. I I never really uh yeah. went down that path at all. But um had you had you always kinda of had aspirations to play in a metal band though, aside from that um, or Well,
1: yeah. I mean when I was younger I played I played uh in in metal bands and punk bands when I was in high school. It's just when, when I was growing up, man, like, I don't know, good music was just good music, you know, and, and it, it still is like, you know, Iron Maiden, Judas Priest are you know, some of my favorite bands to this day, you know, Kiss is, is definitely one of my favorites. And I know Bob alluded to how I got him into, into Kiss, um, you know, but I, I, I love a band like Kiss as much as I love Black Flag, you know, as much as I love Shelter, um, you know, as much as I love AF and the Cro-Mags. Um, if, if it was good, it, it was good. Um, the thing is too you know and i know you've seen this throughout the hardcore scene you'll see a lot of bands that, that start out and they're very rudimentary musicians you know and their bands do some cool stuff and then later on as the guys get better you know at playing music their records wind up getting they wound up getting more metal um, and i wanted to skip that i didn't want to take like a a band that's that starts out being like a youth crew style band and then try and turn it into like either a bar rock band or or a thrash band i'm like let's just come out with a band that's like just totally like you know crossover right from day one and we'll phase out the the screaming you know um and then in favor of more singing and it it's it sucks when you do a band that you love so much and, and your friends really don't like it and and that's cool, you know. And I've had this conversation, say, with, with like, you know, Sweeper, my buddy, that I've been wrongly oppressed with and we did Face of Panic. Um, sweeper likes hardcore, you know. He doesn't like metal. So when Sweeper would tell me, oh, this shit sucks, I knew it was cool because if Sweeper liked it, then it wasn't actually a metal record, you know. Like, um, it is what it is. I'm proud of it. I'm proud of the fact that I have never cared what people think about me or my bands and we're just going to do what we want. And we did it in spite of people. And we did it. We had, you know, fantastic amount of success and, and, and opportunities because we were willing to just let our guard down and go for it.
0: have like a page worth of notes for this interview obviously because as we both mentioned you've you've played in like you know as many bands as as i, I can't even count you know what i mean I, <laughs> I would love for you to try to count them all once sure for the next part of this interview and we'll and we'll, we'll you know we'll do a discography but um yes. we still got a few minutes left so why don't you like you were saying I, I honestly didn't even realize the classic core was your label i i'm familiar with the label but for whatever reason i just never you know looked into who was running the label so why don't you kind of give everyone else an idea about the label right. so that they know so more about off, it? know first off
1: um it's cd only Which is going to turn a lot of people off right away. Um, But I have a reason for that. When I was growing up, um, you know, CD players came out between 82 and 84. Yeah, I'm from a working class family. Um, We could not afford that. I could not afford that. I always bought tapes and I always bought LPs because they were cheap, you know, and that's what I had. I didn't get a CD player until 1997 when I graduated from college and I finally had enough money to buy cds and you're growing up in the 80s and you know companies are just telling you you know cds are the way of the future they sound better they last longer right they do it's true they do sound better they do last longer i understand the whole culture of people just wanting to sit around and listen to vinyl i don't got time to do that anymore um most of the people are going spending 30 bucks on a a blizzard of odds record you know, cause 180 gram vinyl and they bring it home. They listen to it on a $50 Crosley. So it sounds like <laughs> a pile of shit to begin with, you know, I was like, fuck that. You know, for me, you know, I, I didn't grow up rich. You know, I, I did wind up living in a nice house in the suburbs that my parents could not afford. Um, you know, so I didn't have a lot. Um, I was proud when I finally got a CD player and it took me years and years and years to get everything that I had on seven inch or on tape get it on cd instead um but with that being said like cds are cheap as hell to replicate and for me it's like if you're gonna buy something from classic or you know my label it's because you want the music you don't give a shit about what medium it's on you just want the music right for me i'd rather have all the music i don't care about having something on different variants different colors limited press that's all bullshit to me the, the music is what i want so Buffalo has had a lot of awesome bands in the time that I've been here. Now, I'm not going to say that I know everything about Buffalo Hardcore because I don't. I got here in 93. Everything that happened before 93, you got to go to someone like Jay Galvin. He can fill you in on everything. But, you know, from 93 on that I've been here, there's so many amazing bands and their stuff has gone out of print, you know, um, or it was only released on a tape. So my goal was like, all right, I'm going to put out a couple of records, um, bands that I think You know, deserved more. So, the first thing I put out actually was was a Rochester band, technically, um, but a lot of kids in Buffalo don't even know that because Rob was in it. You know, Rob from Union Dead of the World. So, I put out The Building on Fire, like an anthology uh, CD of theirs. And I put out Wrong the Oppressor's record because I always felt that Wrong the Oppressor was an amazing band. And just for one reason or another, you know, the record that Fist Held High was supposed to do didn't didn't come out and the record you were going to do for them wasn't able to come out so I'm like well let's get this stuff out there because people need to hear this band and uh, I was like look I'm putting this out you guys got to play like one reunion show but I'm going to play drums and that's the deal and and Joe had moved to, to Florida anyway and he had been at the hardcore scene for a long time and uh, those guys were like yeah so we played the show it was a lot of fun and people dug it so you know uh, the guys asked me to stick around, and you know we we have written songs, played a ton of shows in the past couple of years. We we got uh, a new record coming out, Classic Core. I'm doing the CD version of it, um, and then uh, Press Gang Records, which is uh, Gus um, Droz and uh, Derek from Dead Hearts, their label. They're putting out the 12 inch vinyl of it. But um the whole point with Classic Core is like I'm I'm going back, and I'm gonna find, you know, stuff that I think should have come out, uh, and, and put it out stuff that's gone now. And then, um, also I have a, I have a band called GOA where, uh, gentlemen of age, it's, it's more hardcore punk. I do the CD version of stuff. And then press gang does like the, the, the tapes and the vinyl for it. So, um, I don't know, it was just, just kind of something, something cool to do. You know, uh, a lot of, you know, my own bands have suffered from like, our stuff has gone out of print because, the labels, you know, were sold and a distribution company owns the rights, you know, to, to the records. So, like, it disappeared and, you know, not for nothing. Most of the bands I've been in in Buffalo, um, well, actually, I shouldn't say that, Union and, and Dead the World were bands made up of people who really weren't from Buffalo. So once the bands, you know, were over, the people moved out of Buffalo. Um, I was the only one around here talking about it. Um, but I couldn't like, it's like, look, man, you know, uh, I don't have any copies of it left. You, you gotta go track it down. Well, now I got some more time and, and, and I'll, I'll reissue like dead of the world stuff or union stuff. So people can listen to it. And then all these other bands that were around here that I thought were amazing. Um, you know, cause I think growing up in New York, you have such a rich hardcore history. Um, you know, just dating back, uh, you know, to the, to the birthplace of punk and those people are still around. Like, you know, you go to a show in New York and there are guys in their fifties and sixties who are still going to shows in Buffalo, you know, me and in, in my mid forties. Um, I'm the old guy, you know, Buffalo seems to have like kids who are 16 to 25 who go to shows and then uh, 25 to 40, there's like hardly anybody from that demographic. And then it's a lot of people over 40. So you know, a lot of people don't know the history of their own town, and uh, I'd like to see Buffalo get more respect than the the three bands that every young kid names. You know, um, it's like, dude, really, dude, do I have to hear another band right. say zero tolerance was the greatest thing and an influence? It's like, dude, they weren't a fucking influence on you, right? They, you know, they, they put out such a limited amount of music, they were absolutely incredible band, I love them. Um, and and obviously, every Vogel band, um, because Vogel has never stopped doing bands you know, they know about that, but it's like, dude, you know, you don't know about this band or this band or this band. And these bands put out records on big labels and did big tours and did all the shows around here. And they were just as integral a part of this scene. Um, but the, the kids got to learn their history here. And I think that would make the scene grow. I mean, it's like, you know, in, in, in Rochester too, you know, um, someone like you, who's, who's older now, um, you definitely, you know, when people are going to drop out of the scene, you know, when they're going to tail off and, um you know a lot of these new kids they don't know all these great bands that existed you know in in the late 90s and the, in the early 2000s you know okay. and the only, only way to keep your scene strong is, to, is right. to, you got to educate kids on what came before them and why their scene is the way it is at that moment that they're a part of it
0: no that makes a lot of sense And I think that's probably a good way for us to wrap up this first part. So um, as long as you're down, we'll we'll do part two in a couple of weeks and we'll get that up here in June. So I I appreciate your time, Mike. Um, Yeah. concludes part one of our interview with mike jeffers i learned quite a bit about mike's history and i hope you did as well mike will be back in june for part two so stay tuned on this episode you heard the following tracks from mike's bands the best enemy by union off their shell fall seven inch whispers of nothing by dead of the world off their split with kid gorgeous martyrs and motherfuckers by the control dead will dance by Herod, and curse of the white devil by wrong the oppressor a portion of this episode has been brought to you in part by safe inside records Founded in 2016 by 2 longtime friends, Burt Jenkins of Built to Last and Aaron Cooley of Built to Last and Over My Dead Body, with a shared love for hardcore, Safe Inside was born with a desire to give back to the scene by reaching hardcore staples, as well as to work with young emerging hardcore bands. The duo brought on label manager Thomas Vanderpool of Dying For It after signing his band in 2017. Maintaining a network of friends from bands throughout the scene has helped them in creating a devoted fan base and a signature sound of bands reminiscent of the early 2000s, with emphasis on roster diversity and high-quality vinyl releases. In early 2020, Safe Inside had already announced releases by Fame, Stepping Stone, Chemical Fix, and Sunset. Then in March, the coronavirus outbreak was a serious reality that affected not only the label, but other bands planning to release music. Because of this, they wanted to raise awareness and show support for people who have been affected by the virus by putting out a digital compilation. The comp has unreleased tracks from the previously mentioned bands, and others including New York City's Perfect World, and Portland's Dry Socket, plus a Go to Alone cover by Rejection Pact. Some of the other bands who have released music already this year are Sissy Fit, Initiate, Crafter, Spirited Away, and Chopping Block. The band camp page is loaded with extras, lyrics, promo videos, links to band's releases, both physical and digital, and as much info as could be gathered to give the comp some legs. 100% of the proceeds will be donated towards the San Diego United Way's COVID-19 Community Response Fund. The fund is for low-wage workers who need support with utilities and rent and mortgage payments and to help prevent homelessness. Learn more at uwsd.org COVID-19. Why digital? Because all the money going towards this release will go directly to the cause. The comp is pay what you can to reduce barriers of entry to support of this comp, these bans, and most importantly, the cause. Please stay safe inside. For more info, you can check out Safe Inside Records at safeinsiderecords.com on Bandcamp at Safe Inside Records where you can find both this digital compilation as well as all their digital releases and you can also find them on Twitter and Instagram at Safe Inside Records. Episode 3 will feature another drummer interview, this time with Rochester's own Jim Callahan. Jim has been a part of the Rochester hardcore scene for over 30 years, most notably as a member of Moment of Truth. Moment of Truth just released their first album in 25 years. This record is called No Blind Eyes and is out on WTF Records. Episode 3 will be available Friday, May 15th. Alright, I got just a couple shoutouts before we wrap this up. Mike Jeffers for doing the interview. I can't wait for part 2. Rob Antonucci for doing episode 1, creating the music for the podcast, as well as designing the logo. Bill Page and Greg Benoit for helping spread the word. They'll be on episodes 4 and 5, respectively. Sarah and Hendrix for your continued support. I love you both.